The audio guide to the galaxy is recorded at SciTech on Wajak Noongar land. Good evening everybody and welcome to the Audio Guide to the Galaxy, the monthly podcast produced by SciTech where we take you through a guided tour of the night sky as seen from Perth. In this episode, we'll be discussing what you can see in the night sky in the month of October. My name is Leon and today I'm joined by Beth, a professional presenter from the SciTech Planetarium. Beth, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Leon. So Beth, as we always start these podcasts, can you tell me as a casual observer, what sort of planets will I be able to see in the sky this month? So there's a few. Um, our M planets are frustratingly uh, away. Um, M- Mars and Mercury, they're hiding behind the sun uh, oh. at this time of year, so we won't be able to see them. M planets? What's that? I was M- wondering what you meant by M planets. The ones that start with M. Of course. Um, so they're however, behind the sun, you can't see those. Yeah, you can't see those, but you can see Saturn, Jupiter and Venus. Uh, so Saturn's really good from after sunset uh, in the northeast until about two in the morning. Uh, oh. Jupiter, you have to stay up a little bit later to catch that one coming up. Uh, but Venus, you either have to be a very late uh, sleeper or a very early riser because Venus is best seen just before the sunrise. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Yep, you're, you're either up very late or up very early. Yeah. Um, well, I'm more of a late person, so I'm guessing I'll probably be able to see Saturn and Jupiter up in the evening. Yes. Um, I'm not a morning person, so I might give Venus a miss. But before sunrise, you said. Yes. If you're keen to see Venus. Yeah, that's a good one. So if anyone's up super early, uh, then if you see a very, very bright star in the sky, it might not be a star at all. It might be <laughs> Venus. It's probably Venus. Okay, good to know. Um, what other interesting news? What's happening in October? So one of the most interesting space events in October are the Orionid meteor shower. Um, that, Orionid meteor shower? Yeah, so that is uh, what I guess we would call shooting stars as well, uh, but a lot of them oh, yes, um, of all... Uh, peaking so the you'll be able to see the highest volume of them in the sky on about the 21st of October um so you'll be able to see them from I think now um when this podcast goes out all right Uh, oh so it's like it's going for ages but the best day is like yes 21st ish yeah exactly so you'll be able to see some activity Mm -hmm. uh throughout the whole of October but it'll be getting towards its best on the, 21st. on the 21st. right. And so you said they are the Orionids. Is that because they're associated with the Orion constellation? Well, so it looks like they come from the Orion constellation, but it's not like those fragments are actually coming from the stars in Orion. Right. They actually come from Halley's Comet. Halley's Comet? Yes. Oh, there you go. Okay, so it's just the angle that we're viewing them at. It looks like they come from Orion. Yes. But you know, Orion's not even a real thing. It's just a direction. Yes, exactly. So with uh, most meteor showers, they are named after the constellation where it looks like they're coming from right. uh, because that's the easiest way to find them in the night sky. Because if you're looking up at the night sky and I say, oh, just look for Halley's Comet, but if you, we can't see the comet in the night sky, that's not going to be much help if you actually just want to see the meteors. Whereas yeah, right. it's a little easier to find Orion with his belt. Uh, so the Orionids. There you go. So my understanding, so meteors are like bits of dust and sand as they streak across the sky. Yes, so absolutely. So fell off Halley's Comet potentially centuries ago and yes. now they're, they're uh, arriving at Earth. Yes. So the reason that they look like they're making light is because they're actually tiny fragments of dust and rock that are burning up in our atmosphere. Okay, so yeah, as they streak across the atmosphere, they glow. Cool. Yeah. How many meteors should I expect to see then on on this sort of peak day? So about a dozen per hour. So it's not going to be like all of the stars in the sky are moving. (laughs) It's not going to look like that, but it will be, yeah, hopefully about 12 
uh, in an hour, which yeah. is pretty good for That's a meteor good. shower. Yeah, what's that, once every five minutes or so? Yeah. All right. Um, when's the best time to look then? So this is another one for our night owls out there. Um, <laughs> after midnight, but before sunrise. Uh, yeah. All right, my time to shine. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, okay, oh, is that just because of the position of Orion in the sky? Yes, it's partly because of that positioning and also um, obviously it's a little bit easier to see all of the stars when you don't have uh, things like the moon in the way. Uh, so uh, making sure that you catch your timing right is important for general light. Um, and the same thing as well, if you're in a city, there'll be lots of light pollution. So if you can try and get out of Perth on the 21st uh, or out of whichever city you might be in. Good stargazing uh, always begins with get out of the city. Absolutely, <laughs> including for meteors. Fantastic. All right, so meteor shower, lots to look forward to there. Anything else in the month of October? Yes, super exciting solar eclipse. Excellent. But we can't see it from Australia. <laughs> uh, damn. Yes. I had a feeling we would know if we could see it from Australia. We would. So it is a solar eclipse um, on the 14th of October, uh, and that is passing through the Americas. So it's looping all the way down through North America, and it's even catching a little bit of South America as well. Ah, there you go. And so solar eclipse is when, obviously, when the moon passes in front of the sun and the shadow is cast on the Earth. Yes. Yep. Oh, that's exciting. Um, but yeah, no, not for us. Um, although I do seem to recall, um, because of the way the moon's orbit works... Usually when there's a solar eclipse, then a couple of weeks later there's a lunar eclipse as well. Are we going to get one? Yes, we will. Um, so it is, it's not an amazing lunar eclipse. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's only about 6% of the moon that's uh, going to be in shadow. Oh, no. <laughs> so it might just look like a slightly small moon. Uh, but uh, we can see it again from 2 till 5 a.m. on the 29th. <laughs> so a slightly, slightly disappointing lunar eclipse for us uh, compared to the uh, solar eclipse in America on the 14th. But, 14th. Um, I mean, we had our, our big X-mouth eclipse, so yeah, it's their did. turn, We've, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, so you need to be really determined if you want to stay up till 3 in the morning to see 6% of the moon be covered by shadow. Yeah. Um, all right, but, well, if you, if you want to, you certainly can. Absolutely. All right, Um well, what about any interesting constellations? What's uh, what's exciting this month? So the Great Square of Pegasus uh, is visible in the northern night sky. Um, so and the rest of Pegasus as well. It's just the square is sort of the easiest bit to spot. Right. What's quite fun about that is that one of the stars of the square isn't actually part of Pegasus. Uh, it's part of Andromeda, um, which is the neighbour constellation. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. let me get this right. So Pegasus is the constellation. The constellation is Pegasus, yes. Right. And But because of just the stars in it, is there... So we're looking for a pattern of stars that looks like a square, is that right? Yes, it looks like a giant square. Uh, and then coming off that square, there sort of looks like um, if you draw a very poor dot-to-dot and use a lot of imagination, uh, there is a... Uh, horse's head and a couple of front legs coming off one side of the square. Right, okay. Oh, and the, the square is like the body of this Pegasus. Yeah, sort of like the chest of it. Right, which I remember Pegasus is the, the horse with wings, isn't it? Yes, so Pegasus is the winged horse. Wings, not in the constellation. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it could just be a horse, but the Greeks were lovely and creative. Um, and a lot of the constellations in that area are all to do with the same uh, Greek myth, the same story. Um, so Pegasus uh, was was first written by Perseus, uh, who uh, was the one who was famous for slaying the Gorgon Medusa. In mm. fact, that's how Pegasus came to being in the mythology, uh, sprung forth from the Gorgon's neck, which is, oh, oh wow. I know, yeah, those, <laughs> those Greeks. I know that part, because like, I remember yeah. the Medusa is the one with snakes for hair. Yes, yes, so when she got her head cut off, a horse appeared. <laughs> 
because mythology um, <laughs> and then Pegasus and uh, Perseus together uh, helped rescue Andromeda, who is another constellation, right, from next Cetus, ah. another constellation. Wow! So the whole story is up there. It's a story. F- I think it's a story for another day. But and and so you said one of the stars in the square of Pegasus is actually part of the Andromeda constellation. Yes, it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's how we use it to make the horse anyway. Yes, we use it to make the nice big square because it's a big obvious square. Yep. Very good. Um, I did see because the name's ringing a bell now. Um, is it is it fifty one Pegasi that's the the really interesting one, or fifty one Pegasi B, or something like that? Fifty one Pegasi B, or Peg- Pegasi Pegasi. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I'm not Greek. Um, so, fifty one horse star. Um, well, no, it's not actually a star. It fifty one Pegasi or Pegasi B was the first exoplanet we ever found around a sun-like star. Right. Well, yeah, okay, so that's why it's ringing a bell. Yes. Um, so the star is 51 Pegasi and then the planet is called 51 Pegasi B. Yes. Um, right, and it's the first planet found around a sun-like star, did you say? Yes, so an exoplanet is just a planet that's been found outside our star. Like, yeah. it, it's not orbiting our star, it's orbiting a different one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it was the first one we found orbiting one that's like our sun. Um, wow, how did they even find a planet like this? So... They found it using what's called the Doppler method. Um, The Doppler method's a little bit weird. So when you have a planet and a star, um, the centre of gravity between the two of them, um, because they're both pulling each other with gravity, because everything has gravity, but obviously the lesser weight is not going to be, or the lesser mass, sorry, is not going to be able to pull the greater mass as much Mm. as it would be the other way around. So that centre of gravity is normally actually somewhere between the two, but when you've got a massive star, that centre of gravity is sometimes inside the star. Much, much closer to the star, yeah. Or not even much, much closer. Sometimes it's it's actually inside. inside. Um, So it means that instead of them both orbiting a central point, which is what happens when you've got two stars uh, that are gravitationally um, attached to each other, when you've got a star and a planet, sometimes the star is kind of orbiting a slightly off-centre point because of gravity, um, and it makes it look like it's wiggling. Um, yeah, so when we are, so we can use the, the Doppler effect um, to, and we can detect that wiggle of a star. And normally what that means is that there is a big planet pretty close to the star. Right. So the analogy I'm sort of thinking of is like the, um, you know, when you see the people doing the shot put and they're yes. swinging around. And so that they're swinging the shot put around because the shot put is so heavy, it's sort of swinging the person around too. Yeah, exactly like that. But if you had a really small shot put, so if you tried to do it with a table tennis ball, table tennis ball's not it's really going to move. Inertia, but yeah. if you tried to do it with a medicine ball, you would have to hold the medicine ball a lot closer or, you know, you would be moved a lot more by you trying to spin it. Right, I see. And so when, when we look at the star and if it's being shaken around by a planet, yes. we can detect that in the, the light coming from the star Yeah. The Doppler shift. Yeah, we can detect the star doing a little jiggle. Wow, that's really cool. And so it's the awesome. Doppler shift is just that sort of mule sound. That yeah, absolutely. Sounds. The ambulance. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. It'd be, if it's moving in a circle, it'd be going towards and away from you for a while. Yeah, exactly. So with light, um, it works a little bit. It works very, very in a very similar way to sound, but it just changes the shift a little bit. Yeah, okay. I think I, I, I follow along enough there. Yeah. Um, and so you said it, it indicates must be extremely close to the planet then. So how, uh, sorry, to the star. How close is this uh, planet then to the star? It is ridiculously close. So in our solar system, the closest that Mercury gets to our sun is 47 million kilometres. Yep. This planet, 51 Pegasi b, is 8 million kilometres away from its star. 
<laughs> wow. So it's like, what's that, a tenth, uh, maybe well, about a, a fifth the distance? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's likely to be a lot larger than Mercury as well for it to have that, um, for it to be able to exhibit that Doppler effect, yeah, which is how we found that. it. So if it's pulling it off course, is it like the size of Jupiter or something like that? So 51 Pegasi B, it's, it's big, but it's about half of the mass of Jupiter. So it's not as big as Jupiter, um, but, but it is bigger than Mercury. Massive. Yes, absolutely. It's still massive. Um, how is that possible then? Aren't like Jupiter-sized planets made of gas and like really fragile? Yeah, so we think that with planets like this, they probably started to form a lot further away from their star but get pulled got gradually pulled inwards uh, by that gravity um, so we've found quite a few examples of uh, what are called hot Jupiters which are those <laughs> gas giants that uh, they they form quite far away from their star but then get pulled inwards getting really hot wow yeah and so 51 Pegasi B is the first example of a hot Jupiter yeah absolutely there you go well I guess that begs the question then did this happen to the Jupiter in our solar system did it move close to the sun we think it did. So there, we would call it the Grand Tack, uh, which it's called Tack because of boating terms. Oh, uh, yeah, I vaguely yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah. When, you, when you tack on a boat, it's, oh, it's either moving into the wind or moving away from the wind. And anyone who likes boats is going to write in and tell me I'm wrong, whichever one I say. So it's something to do with boats turning. Um, but we think that Saturn actually prevented Jupiter from uh, becoming very hot like this one. Oh, so, so it yeah. didn't let it pull all the way in. No, all the way in, right? no. So Saturn just being there and also being a large planet actually pulled Jupiter back to a, a stable orbit. Huh, that's interesting. Because, well, I guess if Jupiter kept spiralling into the sun, there's a good reason to think that the Earth wouldn't be the way it is today. Oh, definitely not. I mean, the Earth might have been, you know, we might have been caught by Jupiter. <laughs> we might be, might be a moon. A moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might not be our own planet at all. So I'm quite glad that the grand attack of Jupiter was... Uh, stopped by the anchor that is Saturn. <laughs> That's fascinating. And yeah, we, we can see an example of that in Pegasus in our sky. Yeah, That's absolutely. Delightful. That's so, really interesting. Yeah, we don't know what might happen to uh, Pegasi B, um, so 51 Pegasi B, sorry, because it might indicate to us what could have happened to Jupiter. So we'll continue to keep an eye on it. Who knows uh, in the future whether it'll disappear one day and oh, we'll yeah. stop seeing that Doppler effect because the sun will have swallowed it or <laughs> whether another it. massive planet will come along in that solar system and pull it out again. Yeah. So it's pretty exciting to keep an eye on. That is pretty exciting. Um, I guess let's leave that sort of space behind for a while. Um, is there any other interesting big news in the world of space? Yes. So there is an alien come to Earth. No, not really. Uh, no, <laughs> okay. so what we have is we sent a spacecraft uh, up into space. Uh, it was called OSIRIS-REx and it's come back. It's very exciting. Oh, so yeah. we sent it out and it's come back. Yeah. Cool. I was going to say, I've seen those pictures from that um, <laughs> silly Mexican tribe or whatever. No, um, no, this is not the uh, the Mexican affair. No, uh, this um, is OSIRIS-REx. I have heard returning. of OSIRIS-REx. Um, it's, it's a weird acronym, isn't it? Yes, so it stands for Origins, Spectral Interpretation, Resource Identification, Security, Regolith Explorer, or Regolith, Space Words. People people like to pick the difficult ones to pronounce, I think. I think they do it deliberately. It's like the the surface material of something, is it right? Yeah, so Regolith is just stuff. It's genuinely the easiest way to describe it. We have it on Earth. It's not a space-specific thing. It's just any loose rock, mineral, or glass fragments um, that are just around. So I guess it's sort of like um, 
you might even call it like scree on earth like oh, on yes. a rock face it's just the dusty sort of stuff material. yeah right. um it can be mixed in with soil as well but it's it's just loosely packed um bits material. yeah okay yeah so the fact we're talking about this suggests it has osiris rex been had something to do with so with that, what, like what, what's its purpose? Yes, so what we did with OSIRIS-REx is NASA sent it to visit an asteroid called Bennu, um, which is, they Sorry, went... Bennu, did you say? Yes, Bennu, B-E-N-N-U. Right. All of these are named after Egyptian mythology, so we've moved on from Greek. Um, <laughs> right, yeah, I recognised OSIRIS, I haven't heard of Bennu. So Bennu is the son of, well, so OSIRIS is the son of the sun god Ra, okay. and Bennu is a sort of Egyptian god bird linked to the sun. Um, basically, people think that it might be the basis for the phoenix myth, but there's also like a whole thing where Bennu is the soul of Ra, so oh, Osiris is kind oh, of visitating... D- yeah, uh, ancient you, mythologies are <laughs> yeah. fun, but you shouldn't yes. take them too seriously. No, absolutely. Um, um, so Osiris Rex went to the literally the asteroid called Bennu. Yes. And um, what did it do there then? So it was in orbit studying the surface uh, using uh, different technologies. Um, So, you know, taking photographs. um, I can't remember if it was X-rays or some different kind of ray that it was using to investigate it. Um, But then, after a couple of years, it took a sample from the surface of this asteroid. So it took a sample of that regolith. A Um, sample. Yes. Just as easy as that, is it? No. (laughs) Well, it it was... very difficult, so it was very, very exciting. Um, so in taking the sample, uh, it grabbed 250 grams. But when it did that, it blew up, I think, six tonnes of dust off the surface. <laughs> yeah. So that sort of tells you a little bit about the the impact that this can have. Um, right. So it was orbiting and then it just kind of dropped down and snatched a bit off the surface and um, left. And in doing so, it just dislodged another six tons of material yes yeah <laughs> that's uh that's uh, that's pretty nuts um and why wh- wh- why do that well so we we want to know what what's going on what's going on in the surface like what there's so much detail that we can get from having a physical sample um because this asteroid there's only so much that we can ever do with with pictures even if they're pictures very fancy pictures using like um x-rays or gamma rays or anything so when we have a physical sample we can do chemical tests on it and so we know from uh some of this imagery that we've gotten that this asteroid is carbonaceous now what that means is that uh there's a lot of the molecules on its surface that are essential to life so they could be oh. organic molecules right, not yeah. organic molecules in the sense of like you buy it in the organic section of the supermarket <laughs> not like that no, but, but organic as in like, organic chemistry yeah yeah like things with carbon methane and um, amino acids and things like that. yes absolutely and so because we think that this asteroid is potentially older than planet earth uh it could be a bit of a time capsule into our solar system and also i mean it could even, if we find life on this asteroid or evidence of that there might have been life near it, that's very exciting. That would be exciting. Huh? What a day, hey? I know. Um, well, I think it's been a great conversation, uh, but we'll call it there. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Audio Guide to the Galaxy, Beth. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of SciTech's Audio Guide to the Galaxy. We'll see you next month when we talk about the night sky in November.
If you'd like to know more about what we've been talking about today, you can find more by going to the SciTech website, and there you'll find a link for a page called The Sky Tonight, which is a monthly blog written by us here at SciTech about all the wonderful things you can see in the night sky.